here's the thing about demos. We all know. Like don't mince words because you're you are the crowd favorite. Don't mince words. <laughs> Prove it. Yeah. I really respect any company that lets me fuck around what? with their products instead of total demos like that are controlled. So um, even though I think it's ridiculous that Volkswagen is even rolling out ChatGPT in its vehicles because they should really work on their base software, they're doing this with Serens. I do give them credit in that they let me mess around with it. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, Transportation Editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the uh, author of Ludacris, The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, the co-founder of Johnson & Roy Advisory, the finest consulting company in transportation. Hi, guys. Gals. Hi. Yeah, Alex. It, is, it everyone like healed? Brought... Is, is everyone healed from CES? Physically. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly. All I did is come go to our party. I did not go to one other thing. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I had to... I had to step in and, and moderate a pair of panels for you. Sorry, I'm sorry. I, was, <laughs> was, I, I actually had a lot of fun. It was it was actually really enjoyable. I mean, would you say was this our best party ever? I feel like each one gets better and better. It does. It does. Um, um, you know, I have to report something. So our party was great. Uh, hundreds of people were there. Some were turned away. There were. A few misbehaving actors, but for the most part, people behaved. Um, but I have to say, I had multiple people, more than I can count on my two hands, come up to me and say that I was their favorite. Or well, who said that? They, I can name them, but I'm not going to. There were a number of founders who said that, and or they also said. They loved the prediction episode and felt that mine was the most realistic. Oh! And the funny thing is, I can barely even remember my predictions from four weeks ago. But <laughs> I was I, apparently I, I I have a I got a vote of confidence from our party goers. I had a very emotional my ass, but I had an emotional <laughs> incident with someone I like who who said to me that I was very wrong about his company in a, in earlier years predictions, and I'd like to bring it up now. And I'd like to t- announce it on the show that I was wrong. Okay. Um, and that he's all right. Good for him. Are um, you going to name the company or are yeah, we just going to leave it at that? Zodiac came up to me and said, Roy, ah. you predicted that uh, the whole sector would get rolled up in M&A and Kodiak would get acquired. But we are growing. Things are good. We're independent. And um, you were wrong. And there was a look in his face of disappointment in me mm. for underestimating um, Kodiak. So I'd like to just admit that – I I was wrong, and the ability to say one was wrong um, is a sign of wisdom and strength. Mm, good. I, well, I, I the rest of the party, the rest of the party, we can't talk about it since it is an off-record event. But it was a great time, and um, it was in a new space. It was amazing, and thanks for everyone to come. And I guess Alex, you've got the the final thank yous. Uh, I do. Our amazing sponsors. Wait, before I even name the sponsors. Uh, a great compliment was paid to us as a team, the Atonicast team, by one of our guests, a uh, friend of the podcast and good guy, Harry Campbell from the, the Rideshare Guy. He said, um, how did you pay – you raised sponsor money for this space and all of this? Like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, um, wow. <laughs> and this is a guy who runs events in, in vertical that are good. So I, I took that as a high compliment. All right. So let's let's thank our sponsors who were – Unbelievable. Um, Trucks VC, Riley Brennan, godfather, friend, and mentor of the podcast. Woven, thank you for being a big supporter every year. Luminar, um, thank you for supporting us every year. Austin, uh, Polymath Robotics, Mobileye, um, the Michigan Office of Future Mobility, Steer, Anuja, uh, Sanokar, our old friend for many years, Cognic, Machine Learning out of Sweden, Quantum Fund from Israel, and Ecomotion. Uh, an event in Tel Aviv I attend every year. Thank you, Jennifer Schwartz. Um, all awesome sponsors and so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the party is is like the highlight of, I think, certainly of all three of our years in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, just uh, helping make that possible is is just really great. So 
Yeah, well, you'll be getting calls from Alex, I'm sure, any day now for next year. Yeah, um, and also, Monsters. I've begun marching through the list to thank people personally because the list was so long. But yes, we'll be discussing next year much earlier uh, because the feedback was so absolutely phenomenal. We had to turn away several sponsors and turn away, I think we had over hundreds on the wait list and request us to get in. So um, we'll see you in 11 months. All right. What's on deck today? Yeah. Hopefully next year. Well, so, so Alex, if, so you didn't go to anything else at CES, so you don't have like thoughts on, on like what the big, the big trends were and, and what they mean and whether they're like complete bullshit or not. Yeah, I rely on YouTube <laughs> to give me feedback. I mean, I've read some reports, uh, some show reports. Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Uh, my favorite part of the of CES is always the basement of the, is the, the, the palms, like where like the, yeah. the, the tiny Venetian. Venetian. Yeah. Venetian. Yeah. It's Venetian now. Yeah. Eureka Park. Yeah, I would have gone to that. Um, but I don't know, man. The rest of it. I mean, what I miss. Okay. We were we were reminiscing about about some of the companies that we met, like, you know, Ouster and and Arba, you know, big sensor companies that we met, you know, behind little card tables in Eureka Park years ago. It's pretty Yeah. Funny. Well, every now and then, I, yeah, Eureka. So I do, um, with TechCrunch, since we focus a lot on the startup, so go to Unveiled, go to Pepcom. I didn't go to Showstoppers this year, but those two, uh, there wasn't a ton of transportation check there, quite frankly. Um, did do a run through Eureka Park, West Hall, um, where almost all the automotive stuff is, and um, actually made it into Central to go visit Harmon, which is, you know, that's where like, consumer electronic, you know, just free for all is. So it's always a little overwhelming there. But um, in in the central sort of hall of the convention center. So here's my quick takes on CES. Surprisingly, LiDAR companies are still around. Like, I don't know how they're surviving. (laughs) And some of them have some pretty big boosts. Obviously, there's um, a focus more on using it towards safety, towards ADAS, but there and sort of not total pivots, but let's say diversification away from we're putting all of our LIDAR eggs in one basket, which is robotaxis. Okay, so Luminar was there, um, AI was there, Ava, like there were a bunch of them that were there that had demos and things like that. Um, And so you know, I always am like, wow, I thought for sure that these would all have disappeared or a lot of them. Hasai was also there, a huge player in the LiDAR market. Um, AI was the buzzword. Generative AI was the buzzword. I went to a bunch of the demos. And, you know, here's the thing about demos. We all know. like, Don't mince words because you are the crowd favorite. Don't mince words. <laughs> Prove it. Yeah. So... I really respect any company that lets me fuck around what? with their products instead of total demos like that are controlled. So um, even though I think it's ridiculous that Volkswagen is even rolling out ChatGPT in its vehicles because they should really work on their base software, they're doing this with Serence. I do give them credit in that they let me mess around with it. And here's the thing. I've only heard one convincing argument as to why you would use large language models, you know, chat GPT specifically from OpenAI, but large language models in general, general in vehicles. And the best argument I heard was natural language processing and like voice assistance basically right now are incredibly limited and bad, and this will help. It remains to be seen if it will really help. And I think their biggest challenge is how to reduce hallucinations. Um, which are common. So if it makes your voice assistant actually a true voice assistant, great. Um, And BMW is working on this. VW is working on this. Mercedes rolled it out um, in June and has learned a lot from it. We'll see how it all, um, you know, pans out. It felt very buzzy and it felt like very demo-y, but there are... The, the intent the all, from all of them is to make me really the voice assistants better. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, and then other than that, there was a ton of in-carbon, in-cabin car tech. And Alex, you'll like this. Maybe. All the eye tracking stuff that's been used for safety. Now all these companies are like, oh, but now we can do comfort stuff. 
you know, like tracking your eye as it looks at a point of interest and then giving you information or telling you if a table is free at that coffee shop and things like that. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about how that's being used. Um, but that was definitely another trend I saw. And of course, electrification, a lot of electrification stuff. The big three automakers weren't there, but a lot of others were there. Um, Honda, Hyundai and Kia probably had the biggest presence. Hyundai and Kia probably spent more, like, they spent a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they spent a lot of money, I'm sure. Um, But there was like Tog, the Turkish, you know, automaker with with their set. Like, there was a lot of electrification and automation on the industrial side. John Deere had one of the biggest displays, you know, in West Hall. And so it's interesting to see automated driving more focused on industrial applications um, than some of the dreamy pie in the sky stuff. Um, Aurora was there with Continental and Kodiak Robotics was there. Uh, so, so there was definitely like still a lot of that stuff, but to me, the buzziest, hypiest thing was generative AI for sure. And that is your CES synopsis. So you didn't even have to go. That's quite the, quite the download. Yeah. So one of the really interesting things is like, it's the consumer electronics show and the West hall is like this big, you know, it's become basically like a car show within the show. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it, but it's, Every year, it's less and less consumer facing. It's more and more companies like, uh, you know, like John Deere's and, and uh, uh, Komatsu and like, like, you know, uh, whether it's agriculture, whether it's it's mining, whether it's you know, offered applications essentially. So it's, it's kind of fascinating because like with the consumer electronics show sort of morph into a car show, and now it's like kind of continuing to to morph. Uh, and it's interesting that like, I, it, it seems like the, a lot of the like immediate consumer facing stuff is, is hard. Like you, you were talking about the large language models and like voice is such an important input for cars, but like the tech is so hard to wrangle into sort of the specific use case of a car, right? Like, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird match in the sense that like large language model for like interfacing with the internet where it's all, you know, that it's trained on is one thing, but like when you're interfacing with a car, there's sort of a more specific and limited set of things that you are, go- are going to be trying to do. And, and um, as you were saying, Kirsten, like the reliability is much more important because like if you're driving and, and your voice interface isn't working, like that's only going to take a couple of times of not working before you just stop, stop using, using it all together. Yeah. Um, so the, the interesting thing with that is it seems like what most automakers now are leaning into is two LLMs, a smaller data set, based on the car manual, frequently asked questions, things like that, very controlled, that cannot be hallucinated. They are they know that they're accurate. Um, it's still a pretty large data set, but that's used for most of the interactions. Anytime anyone, let's say driving a BMW, might ask about the vehicle or you know things like that. And then, and this was shown to me with the VW Saren's demo, if it starts to then go into a different territory beyond that, it then goes to a larger language model, possibly provided by OpenAI or one of the other, you know, um, LLM providers uh, like Anthropic or something like that, or, you know, Amazon. Um, And then that's when hallucinations or some inaccuracies can get in there. Interestingly with VW, they also had it so that it was limited for certain things like, Profan- like um, questions about like sex and profanity and stuff like that. But also, if you asked it, um, it was filtered by brand as well. So if you asked it a question like, which company had the most EV sales in 2022, it would accurately tell you Tesla. But if you asked it, give me 10 reasons why I should buy a Tesla, it would say, I cannot answer that question for you. So that was, I thought, a very interesting application, and I'm, you know, not sure how useful it is to the driver. But uh, can I, wait, can I just chime in here for a second? Yeah. Um, our uh, uh, Missy Cummings, um, with whom I have some differences, but I think she's, you know, she's got opinions that matter. Um, she very correctly pointed out that the LLM companies um, 
uh, use of certain language um, smothers the reality of what they're doing. So a regurgitation is just plagiarism and a hallucination is just bullshit. And like, it is incredible to me that companies that are famous for engineering hardware on in their cars to like, you know, incredible levels, just famous for reliability or safety. Well, are riding the LLM bandwagon and shoving the stuff in a car. I have attempted to use LLMs for a variety of purposes for clients and for myself, and they still suck. They basically suck. And I mean, the, the, the irony, like the, the irony of a car, which is like a famous brand known for being built like a bank vault, and then being able to ask an LLM a question and getting something, getting bullshit from it, sitting in this, this like monument to like, System engineering, I mean, they're. They get, I think this is. It's going to set back this technology years. If I it's mean, applied you, how- to specifically a voice assistant's ability to interact in a way that, because if you go into any of them now, they're very limited. They don't understand. They can't do follow up questions for the most part. Then great. My biggest issue is that, and I'll use Volkswagen as the prime example. They have an entire software arm, Carryad that is supposed to be developing this software platform to be used by all these other brands within VW Group. And all of them are turning to other alternatives because they cannot get this thing done. And meanwhile, they're doing this tie-up with Serence. It's just like, pick a lane, get your underlying software figured out, um, get your electrical architecture figured out so that you can do these things. And then let's worry about, you know, having it tell me a story about whatever. Which in a way is is sort of what one of the other big buzzwords of the show is about, right? Which is the whole software-defined vehicle thing. Which, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and Kirsten, I do really appreciate uh, uh, Sean, who, who works with you uh, at TechCrunch, doing just like an explainer on uh, on what is a software-defined vehicle. That was actually vehicle. Harry... That was actually that was actually Harry Weber. Um, and oh, I'm sorry. Great. Yes, yeah, yeah. No worries. She did that, and um, no, Sean, Sean, and Harry were both helping me with CES coverage. And yes, we have a an article entitled "WTF is a Software Defined Vehicle" um, because they're all talking timely, about it. And yeah, yeah, timely question for sure. I'm sorry, yes. uh, not to be cranky because you know I, I like to make enemies, um, but you know there uh, recently. Uh, well-known publication launched their software-defined vehicle awards, and I'm sorry, but it, very serious people who do real work got some awards, and that's great. I, I I don't actually think that people giving these awards have any idea what it is or how this stuff actually works. It doesn't move the ball forward for the industry when you know. We'll just – I'll leave it right there um, because there are folks who got these awards who definitely are doing incredible work and there are others who are just like, how much how many ad pages did you buy in that rag? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Um, the, the other thing which is incredible to me is all OEMs claim to want to make money from subscriptions and um, you know, software-defined vehicles would seem to be like the – uh, the umbrella under which one would create software-defined products that people will pay for. Uh, and so far, it would seem like almost co- a complete failure to, to really articulate what is the product people will pay for and that is good. So there, we have Super Cruise out there, which is still fairly limited in numbers. There's Blue Cruise. Um, I mean, the best, the most successful example has to be Tesla's $200 a month uh, subscription to FSD. Um and yet, I just successful in terms of number of volume, subscriptions. Volume, yes, volume of people. Yeah, or, or percentage of people of customers with the car is willing to pay sure. an additional fee for the product. Yeah. Um, I I don't think FSD is good, but I do get other features that are worth two hundred bucks a month to me. If you can get uh, if you can get people to pay two hundred bucks a month for something that is not a good product, I mean that's winning in the marketplace, right? Well, I would say it's a mixed bag. There are sub components that are subsets of. of of it that are great and there's things that are worthless like smart summon and parking such as this trash uh auto lane change and red light recognition uh with the chime and other stuff is absolutely worth it to me absolutely worth it um and yet i I feel like the sector is doing 
as bad a job explaining or creating valuable products and pricing them correctly and then marketing them correctly as he did um, ex- trying to articulate the difference between driver assistance and self-driving and actual robotaxi. And when is this going to get solved? Like, what the, the, I'm working on a, on a column draft now, which I've been really working on it for like five years, and it's the same thesis, which is um, how Elon Musk um, won self-driving. I, not the technology, but the landscape of the words, language, and perception of it. The majority of people still think Teslas are self-driving. They can't explain what that means. And no other OEM could come close to owning a language. I know I don't want to go off on a tangent and take this whole episode there, but this is repeating itself with software-defined vehicles and subscriptions. And I'm still looking I for will. I will support – yeah, I, I, I will give you a perfect example so that supports this thesis. Um, briefly, I was, uh, test driving the Kia EV9 over right the week after, uh, CES. Beautiful. It's beautiful. And yeah, it was a great car. Uh, there's a lot to like about it. There's a couple things I would change, but most of it was solid. And then of course I spent a lot, wanted to spend a lot of time testing the ADAS. It has, um, a couple of things. So it has all the ADAS that you would expect. So adaptive cruise control, it has lane keeping. And it actually stays in lane. It doesn't ping pong. It has automatic lane change. Okay, so you just hit the uh, uh, stock, the indicator, and it and it will look and change the lane for you. Um, it also has not a green light indicator, but a car pulling ahead of you indicator. So it'll give you a little like alert if a car, you know, if you're sitting at a stoplight, I guess. And when you put all these things together, and very capable, right? It is very similar to much of what Tesla offers. And yet, no one is talking about the Kia branded, whatever it's called, ADAS. Everyone talks about their Tesla being self driving car. My point is that there's a lot of automakers out there that are starting to offer ADAS products that are quite competitive, um, certainly to the standard autopilot, and I would even say enhanced autopilot. Um, I haven't been in the latest version of FSD in a while. Um, so I can't, Alex, you have, but there, but all the other automakers just can't seem to get the same amount of attention, um, for the product. It's because it's not about the product. Like FSD is not popular because it's, it's so good. It's popular because of the hype that's associated with it. And no other automaker will do it because they know it's, it's fraud. <laughs> so uh, maybe, well, they could, they could, but I mean, there was an organization that you worked for at one time whose I think stated task it was to, was to educate such that no single automaker had to make false claims and they could band together and to get, and clarify the language and move forward with that. And um, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds great. So, so in the spirit of, of CES not really Wait. being consumer facing anymore, go ahead. <laughs> this is a good time to talk about now GM and Ultra Cruise. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of well, want to touch your point, on though, Ed. briefly your about point. about the software defined vehicle, like, like because I think you know Kirsten summarized. You guys have covered a lot of the you know uh, important stuff about the, the sort of consumer facing side of it. Um, I you know, being a nerd, ended up going to actually to the Conti, uh, the Continental booth and and sort of seeing there from a supplier's perspective, a tier one's perspective of like, what, what does it, you know, what is offering self, you know, basically what is serving the the demand for this buzzword mean for a, for a tier one supplier. And it was, it was really interesting because it's such a different perspective. Um, and, and I, I don't know that what they're doing, like, it's not, I, I really only went to to theirs, I don't know that what they're doing is necessarily vastly different than than what other suppliers in the space are doing, but basically just creating these development environments and pipelines where you can, you know, essentially, you know, have the the hardware that you're going to actually have things running on in the in the car, uh, running in the cloud, so you can be testing. And and it was interesting. Um, Nitsa was uh, actually visiting the Continental booth right after I was there, and. I was thinking about how interesting it was that they're that they're being exposed to this sort of capability because you know it kind of shows that that you know when you get sort of these more traditional auto you know companies involved in something like over there updates, uh, they develop pipelines that allow you to do this in like very uh, 
in ways they're like where they're spe- speeding up validation and essentially like being able to do software and hardware validation kind of in parallel rather than um, sequentially is one of the things and um, and then and then again also just with the with the OTA updates there's this whole question of like how does NHTSA regulate that you know what I mean like it's a very uh, it's been a wild west Tesla's been kind of just doing whatever they want and I think um, you know showing sort of these the systems that allow this to happen in a more like in a structured and, and validated way so that, you know, cause I, I think it, it would, it's bad for the entire auto industry to like sort of slip into this away from this culture that Alex, you were talking about of like engineer it right the first time, validate it to make sure you, you, you know, and then release it. And, and yeah. So I think, I think, you know, ultimately like there's been so much excitement about so many of these different sort of software things in cars. And at the end of the day, you know, you can't just take stuff that works in like consumer computing and just slap it onto a car, right? And and just say like, oh, look, like, you know, the cars, you know, we're a software company now. I mean, you can sort of, some have, have gotten away with this, but like, I, as it gets more serious, you know, we're seeing, I think it's really exciting that we're seeing sort of these traditional automotive, like, like workflows and approaches and cultures, you know, starting to actually combine in, um, in ways that allow them to be more nimble, but still sort of do the the kind of rigorous validation and stuff. That I have a question for both of you, which related to this. Did either of you check out the Mercedes, like uh, what is a dynamic DJ system, which like uh, adjust the music type? The Will um, I Am startup. Yeah, that one. Did you try it? Um, I did not get a chance to try it, but Tim Stevens, who wrote for us, did. Tell us about it. And um. So he actually really liked it, and but I wonder what the safety implications are. Um, <laughs> essentially, it it uses parameters within the vehicle like braking and acceleration and steering to change the emphasis within a song that's playing. So it matches how you drive. So does it create music or does it pick music that they associate characteristics with? So if let's say you're going to play a Dua Lipa song uh-huh. and you pick that and then you're driving kind of casually, it might have a very different sort of structure, you know, in terms of what it emphasizes and what it doesn't in, ter- in tempo. A known song that exists already will yes. speed up or change. Yes. Hmm. Yes. So what if you – so is that determined by like AI or does Dua Lipa have multiple versions of her song or is it just they, they pick like a, a stem track and like boost the bass? Like – I'm sorry. I didn't read the article. So um, No, it's okay. Um, so it's not multiple different tracks. It basically – it the, the easiest way to describe it is a, a think of a DJ at a club and how they might change a tune a little bit depending on the mood. Um, that's probably the easiest way, but it's connected to parameters or inputs from the vehicle. It's not just like, oh, we're just going to do this because you turned up the volume. It's uh, how you're driving the vehicle. What I would like to have happen, what I really, I had a friend, oh my God, what was his name years ago? Swedish guy, before Spotify existed, who had a, uh, uh, if you had a workout, whatever your workout was, based on your heart rate and other things, it would just, you would have genres you like, it would select from those genres like music whose beats matched up with like your heart rate. And so you might hear songs you never heard before, but they were all within genre and matched to your activity. In my case, I don't listen to music when I drive pretty much ever because of just, I like to hear what's happening. But I'd love to have some, uh, like I'm a big fan of um, From 242 and Opeth, for anyone in the audience who knows who those bands are, I would love to be driving and then say music on. And then based on my driving, it would select other bands like one of those two and lead me down a path the way, um, what site is it? Is it allmusic.com? Which shows like genre inspired by and inspired uh, forward. And then you can, mm. there's like a tree of his of musical history, like the chart in the movie School of Rock. Where he's like, punk led to this, led to that, led to this. But it all started with Mahler and Beethoven, who are the godfathers of like metal and Rush. And um, anyway, I'm rambling now, but I would pay to. You are rambling. What does this have to do with software defined vehicles, or is it just something that. Okay. Everything, because 
I would like to see, I'm glad to see Mercedes do something creative here because it sounds interesting. I'd like to see them go further, someone go further down this path. And I, cause I would pay that for a subscription to service that did that. Absolutely. So, so um, I have something like, Eagle, like Iron Eagle's music when he's flying the plane and he's about to attack and then Queen comes on. And, uh, it's good. One so, so I wanted to tell you about this, Alex, because I, it just seemed like it was when I heard about it, it was just like, oh, this, this is such like a Alex Roy predicted this kind of a uh, a thing because uh, so Mobileye, they have the they've sort of reworked their and again, it's like CES is so B2B now. The consumer has nothing to do with it. But basically, the, the, the short version is, is that like customers, so Mobileye, you know, ADAS cameras products um, are in so many vehicles that uh, OEMs want to basically have more uh, freedom to tune them so that essentially your ADAS will have a driving style that reflects your brand. And like, for me, this is like classic, like Alex Roy at the drive column kind of stuff. It's it's smart. This is smart for Mobileye. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it also seems like, you know, a little bit of a, a, a victim of your own success kind of problem, right? You're in, you know, if your if your customers are like, help us define like our version of your product from all of the other vehicles that have it, like that's that's a good place to be, I guess. Uh, now, should we talk about Ultra Cruise? Yeah. Well, let's just definitely move on from CES, um, mm. and I think we've I think we've covered it. Uh, so there were some rumors and some reports about GM getting rid of Ultra Cruise. If you remember, mm. Ultra Cruise. This was the secondary product, the super duper awesome, capable product, mm. not to be confused with super. You know, I had an ultra and then it's like, wow. Like Mega Cruise, which is just, it's on the whole. Yes. Or Mega, I just was waiting for the Mega Ultra Super Cruise, which never came. Um, but it turns out, so the rumors are correct in a certain sense. It's not just like, oh, we're shutting down this effort and it goes away. They're basically folding Ultra Cruise team into Super Cruise team and going to just make what they should have done all along, which is let's just keep making Super Cruise better. Uh, fundamentally, Kirsten, since you're the most popular, incredible, and trusted voice on the show. I'm the most popular on the show, yes. Yeah, true. Uh, so will you explain to us what GM's stated difference was from GM between Super Cruise and Ultra Cruise? I, I mean, you tell me. It, it, the... Super Cruise has always been a product that's hands off, um, not eyes off, eyes on, and very limited. We always said that it could be incredibly popular if only they did what Tesla did and just made it widely available on all their vehicles and on all and on all highways. And how many models could have it? But good, and also and originally very limited on which roads it was available on. It's since expanded quite a bit. Um, so but it's fundamentally it's 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 fundamentally freeway only, right? Super Cruise is, is yes, a freeway. divided highway, freeway. Yeah. And the goal highway, was yeah. yeah, the goal was eventually, and in and GM CEO and chair uh, Mary Barra has talked about this kind of boldly um, about a year ago or more that you know eventually people would have own personal vehicles that would drive themselves, and there would be this step change. It wouldn't just be an ADAS product anymore. Um, and this would be Ultra Cruise is branded as this next generation that would be close to getting them to that point. Um, so I never, it's not that I didn't understand what the differences were. I just didn't, I didn't, I never understood the decision to separate out potentially, you know, engineering teams and focus on it unless it had such a wildly different light sensor stack or something that you needed to. I, I don't know why they ever did to begin with. And I thought it was unserious, a, a little bit muddled into what they were trying to do. The idea was Ultra Cruise was going to hit like 95% of driving scenarios. Can you imagine miles three, of road. three such programs, Super Cruise? Oh, so you have your basic ADAS, Super Cruise, Ultra Cruise, and Cruise all under one corporate umbrella. Right. What a, what a yeah. Stupid. So, so that's the, that's the, the elephant in the room here, right? It's like, okay, so, so ultra cruise is like, clearly the ADAS side of things is being shuffled. The ambitions, it seems like on how fast they're going to be putting like more highly automated features into consumer cars. It seems like those ambitions are coming back a little bit, which, you know, 
at all the while, like Cruise, their you know level four robo taxi company is sort of in this weird limbo right now. Is that fair to say? I don't. I haven't really been. Yeah in touch with folks at Cruise. Uh, so I don't know what's what's happening sort of It's absolutely in a weird limbo. And I think okay. that there's a lot of speculation. Morale is very low there. I can report that. Um, yeah. That shouldn't be very... I'm talking about Cruise, the subsidiary. There's a couple of theories out there. Will GM do what Ford did with Argo? Basically dump... It's a little bit different financially, the setup. So it's not exactly apples to apples here, but will it fold that bring it in and then just work on a like hands off, eyes off automated driving system in, that it's going to go in consumer vehicles and forget about robo taxis. Or will it just simply do what it just recently did with Bright Drop, which was fold it into the company, but still maintain its mission. So Bright Drop is the commercial EV um, business that was a separate entity and has been brought back into GM, but it's still doing the same thing. Or will it stay as it is? Um, and there are people who argue have told me their stances on why they're one of those three options is going to happen. Um, it's legacy time for Mary Barra. It's been 10 years. Um, I think she's very keen to show that there's something that came from that. Uh, and so maybe Ultra Cruise is part of this. Let's be less muddled and let's, let's be more defined in what we're doing here. Um, but right now, all we know is it's being folded in. Like we don't know anything else really, um, beyond that. So I think it's just pure speculation. I'm very curious to see what happens to cruise the robo taxi unit though. That's probably what I'm most interested in. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel, I feel like there was a, there was a, it, it makes it more like complicated from a narrative perspective. And I feel like in this space now, essentially, I mean, GM has really sort of been the legacy automaker that we've talked about this. It's been the most aggressive at kind of trying to emulate Tesla's, you know, hype. And and I think like Tesla, it's becoming kind of clear, right? And and, and so like on the one hand, I, I congratulate, you know, GM for for being, you know, for acknowledging, I guess, that, that you know, Super Cruise is, is the focus, that Ultra Cruise is you know, not necessarily a priority. I think it's a it's a problematic space to get into. And I think it was part of a problematic approach to the to the sort of technology. But on the other hand, you know, from just purely a stock perspective, it would have been so easy to say, like, oh, well, we're sort of like rolling, you know, all this like super, super cutting edge cruise technology, you know, into the company in order to make ultra cruise possible from a hype perspective well, that that, that might, that still might have happen. worked better. Okay. So that's a, that's but my the, point is but, that we don't but really doesn't know ultra the, cruise going away. Does that not? But I don't think it's going away. I think it's just merely being full. Like that's what I'm saying. It's not clear as far as what I've read and heard the, exactly what's happening here. Um, do we know? I don't think. Do we know how big the team working on ultra cruise? Do we have any idea? Have they ever talked about it? Because otherwise, it's kind of just like a name that they just sort of floated out there. We all that's what I mean. it like it's a real thing. It was never that. That going back to Alex's original question, which is explain the difference, and I said, "You tell me." <laughs> Again, it's always been muddled to me. It just felt like a branding exercise, and because I didn't have insight in exactly how those teams are being set up, were they working on something so wildly different that it would be? like replacing the whole underlying like hardware in addition to the software, like why separate it? To me, it felt like a branding exercise, but I'd never had any insight into exactly what it was doing. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they, what they do. They've got a couple of like pieces of, of puzzle to, <laughs> to sort is, through. Is there, there one person like at GM who understands like to the future of driving automation and has a clear vision? I mean, does anybody have I'm a clear sure vision of driving automation? I, I, I mean, I, I do. Well, right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I, I think we're finding it's, it's, you know, I mean, level two is, is people, some people love it because it's, it's cool or, or they find it helpful, but there are a lot of people who, who it doesn't seem like a, a must have thing. I don't think there's a, uh, you know, and again, like you, like you were saying, Alex, I mean, the, the most successful company, at putting driving automation in consumer cars, uh, you know, is doing is doing so in in really like suboptimal well, ways from an ethical safety threads in This show in this episode together. So um, to sell soft uh, 
for software software defined vehicles to as uh, have uh, within them uh, really great products. Um, people have to want to use those. People have to want to use those products, whether the products are actually good or not, um, or do what they're supposed to. Doesn't matter as, if if the UX is good, but the product falls short. People are going to use it. Perfect example: Tesla. The UX is if you use autopilot and understand it, it is very good, even though it has clear gaps in its safe approach to safety. And and so adoption, like loyalty to the to the autopilot product, uh, is quite high. Whereas, and you pointed out earlier that there were many equivalent ADAS products which probably had better safety engineering for which there is very little customer loyalty or excitement. And so yeah. it seems very clear to me that the, the not, not the elephant, but like the the um, enormous backdoor that uh, it to getting consumer loyalty to a product, uh, a software product that Elon recognized that no one else has is you have to make it really easy to use it, whether it's good or not. So right. I, is, is that really it? You think it's, it, I, see, I don't, yes, I don't think absolutely. that's it. Absolutely. I think it's, I think you have to compromise on safety and you have to lie about it. And I think that to me shows that the, as an industry, there's a struggle yeah, to find the value yeah. with this technology. That's the customers like myself who understand the unsafe aspects and love the product. I love it. Yeah. And so let me connect the dots for you. The, the glue between a, an, a great ADAS system, uh, a great driving automation, and safety is an, a, a really well-engineered driver monitoring system. Not all DMSs are the same. Elon Musk recognized that if he loosens the boundaries on the DMS or just doesn't have one at all, that will lead to widespread adoption uh, and, and product experimentation and love of the product. And whereas every other manufacturer is like, no way, the boundaries will be super tight, will be safety first. So Elon Musk realized, so Elon Musk is now incrementally slowly trying to make autopilot and FSD safer by tightening the boundaries of, um, the, of the DMS on the camera. Um, it still doesn't. Okay. See through my. Can I just say he's doing it though because he's he's doing it though because he's being forced to do it. Like he's not like, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to make this safer. But my um, conclusion, I got. Let me just finish. Look, my my okay. conclusion here, my thesis is that um, Elon Musk is going to build a like. <laughs> he's basically got an enormous and loyal user base for a product that is incrementally by force getting safer, whereas all the OEMs are desperately trying to get customers to love a product whose boundaries are tight out of the gate. And I'll so read the, read, the, read the forums though, because now as they, as these updates for the recall have gone into place, yeah, people are saying this product sucks. It's unusable now. Yeah, of course. So, so there's exactly. a fundamental trade-off. No, no, no. And, and, and else, like, this is why we don't have to, we don't have to argue about it. That. For years, Ed. Was, Ed. because he got away with it before regulators finally so my, were like, there's a fundamental trade-off between how you're, how you're designing these systems and okay. safety. Software-defined vehicle products that require DMS are to be successful, then the DMS needs to be amazing. And that's where I like to see resources invested instead of LLMs, which don't improve safety. And, and fundamentally, like the whole industry is, I think the challenge here is figuring out, you know, how do we make a product that people actually like to use, but but is safe or, or at least not more, you know, more dangerous. And Well, but there is also a way to do that. If you go back in time and, and convince GM to not just put it into one model of a Cadillac, yeah. I think that you would have seen, like, that's not unsafe, but if they had put that product in every Chevy, for instance, it would have been a very popular product and people would have for like a and, year or, but, or but yeah, I think whatever. Of, but I think part of it too is, is right. You can't separate the fact out that Tesla says that it, it, very misleadingly, there's a safety that this is a safety system. They, they make a statistical safety claim about autopilot that is sure. again, deeply misleading. And this is why from a safety, right? Like, and this is the problem is people aren't buying safety. People do not recognize which is the more safe system and, and, and move to that one spontaneously, right? So people are not buying safety. The problem is everyone is selling safety. And so you have the choice between, okay, so you're selling safety that people don't necessarily really want to buy. So your choices are, are one, you know, make it actually safe, like sell, sell what you're actually selling, right? In which case people, it's just a product that people just don't love or sell something other than what you're selling, in which case people get the belief that what they're using is safe, 
but they're getting the user experience that that they want, which is fundamentally not safe. And f- that disconnect is traditionally known as fraud. <laughs> <You're> the, <laughs> like, the most credible and popular person on the show. I, why don't you wrap this topic up for us and take us the next <laughs> one? Okay. Well, now that we've rehashed our podcast episodes for the last five years about <laughs> Tesla, um, let's move on. But I would say this to, to finally wrap up. Yes, since the restrictions that Tesla has been forced to roll out because of the regulators, I've heard anecdotally from people and then read on forum, forums, so in conversations and on forums, that it is a product that they don't like anymore. And that validates my feelings and thoughts about the system to begin with, which is um, GM and others by restricting it to very specific models, but also making it restrictive of where it can be accessible wasn't as fun and exciting as it was to Tesla users who were basically red-pilled into thinking that this was some awesome thing. Um, And now that it's being being forced brought back to some sort of safety limits, it's not as usable and popular anymore. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I I trick the new system successfully every day. Um, My... uh, my aviators, my. Oh, Ray-Bans. you just got a thumb. You just got a thumbs down. Yeah, um, my my. None of my sunglasses can trick it. But my father, when he died, left me a pair of nineteen seventy um, Italian brand review glasses that are like straight out of like uh, Miami Vice or like Scarface, like dark tinted, really serious glasses. You put those on, you could literally, you can just fall asleep and it right matter. but it's also looking at head tilt so. inspiring right. stuff right. Yeah, thank you. Mitzah. This is everyone Mitzah. call me my glasses review yeah. and and they t- the tesla dms can't can't see through you're angling okay. for an endorsement deal aren't you yeah yeah <laughs> um, topic. Okay. Kirsten. Last, Kirsten. last topic briefly um waymo so waymo is expanding geographically um, uh, this past week and uh, in and around San Francisco. But it also seems like as a result, there's some interesting rumors swirling. I'm going to go back to my prediction, the one I do remember, which is I expect Waymo to raise more cash this in 2024. The other rumor I'm hearing is that they're going to spin out. Now, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure, Alphabet is going to do that. But I do think they're going to raise more money because they are clearly expanding and they have um, big aspirations and ambitions. The question is, will they manage to avoid the pitfalls of other equally ambitious companies? Uh, I got to tell you guys, first of all, I've never worked for Waymo, just before I say the next thing. But I recently Mm. rode with a friend here um, uh, for a, uh, a test of the Waymo uh, pick up and drop curbside at Phoenix Airport, it's, it was great. <laughs> it was great, and I had not seen anyone else execute that. And um, they're running away with this. And uh, like, I mean, between the the Jaguar and the upcoming was the Zeker vehicle. I mean, this is a big news because this is like the holy grail is being able to go downtown, urban downtown to airport curbside. It's awesome. I'm just going to point out that a lot of people were like saying that Cruz was the big winner too before shit happened. And I'm not saying that they're run the same way. Yeah. I'm not saying they're run the same way. Cruz never demonstrated the level of like um, customer UX and like technical achievement required to execute what I've seen in a Waymo multiple times. And um, I, was, I was amazed. It's great. The scary thing about being a Waymo. And, and and thinking about going public is similar to the conversation we were just having, which is that when it comes to Wall Street, like the lies are more popular than the truth, you know, and and doing this technology the right way and being the leader at it, you know, if that continues to be the paradigm, like that's still a tough environment to operate in, even if you're doing everything right. Like, you, you, you know, so so I actually I hope Waymo goes public because hopefully then it will force sort of investors in public markets to like acknowledge the screaming differences between the companies who are like approaching this technology in responsible and like appropriate ways. And those who are 
feeding our fantasies about it. Um, because at some point something has to, <laughs> you know, change if we want markets to be, you know, a mechanism where the, the cream rises to the top and the, and the less, you know, the, the less viable approaches, you know, fail. If it, it has to be rooted in something real. So, so hopefully a Waymo going to, going to market will have an effect on that, that, you know, we might not have seen. The only reason why I care about Waymo going public is because I want to see all of their costs and operations and how much money they're losing. That's all I <laughs> care all, about. <laughs> it would also be I, really interesting to see. Yeah, uh, that, more I, I would love to see exactly the breakdown of, of everything. Um, I'm sure Alex has a final thought to wrap up um, on the Waymo front, but I'll just say this. I don't know if 2024 is the right year. Certainly economic conditions are improving a little bit, but um, this is still frontier tech. It is certainly not profitable. Yes, they're expanding. Yes, they're giving rides, commercial rides, and they're making revenue. Um, but there is a risk unless that window is narrow to some sort of, let's say, break even. Um, moment, you only have so many years before investors just are no longer going to back you. And um, it's, it's, you know, a few, you have a few years. So if Waymo can say to itself, okay, within three years, I think we could be like, break even on cost, or at least show like, make some certain, you know, um, progress, then fine. But if they can't, then they put themselves in a really awkward position when they and will have to repeatedly go back to the marketplace to get more money to be able to fund what they want to do. Uh, and I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, one of Waymo's great strengths is that they've had, you know, very far-sighted strategic investors for really, you know, since since the beginning. That's it came out of Well, including you know, Alphabet. Like that's, that's their, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so it, it would be a big transition. It's probably one that will have to happen at some point. Um, but yeah, we'll see. All right, Alex. Final words, Kirsten. Um, you're also my favorite, most credible. <laughs> well, that's not surprising. Right. I mean, that's I what like a coincidence, say. Alex, because she's my favorite too. Wow. Uh. All right. Well, you guys can fight over me later. Um, <laughs> any final words of uh, of wisdom on Waymo before we wrap this up? No, uh, I have a, a final question for you guys. So, uh, should is it should we? Is it time for us to activate the merch store on the website? Oh, fans of the show, would you like us to activate the merch store on the website? There's some cool stuff in there, and we just have never made it active. What do you think? Yeah, we should just do that. Yeah, yeah we should. We'll discuss awesome. it uh, later. All right. Well, I think that that is the perfect way to end the show. Um, look forward to some merch coming soon. And thank you to our audience to listening to another episode of the Atomicast. <laughs>